La La Land. I'm sorry. No. There's a mistake. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. Moonlight won. This is not a joke. This is not a joke. I'm afraid they read the wrong thing. Hello, you're listening to Cellcast. We don't know what we're doing. We're just talking about movies. This week we're talking about our Alternative Academy Awards. I'm Sam. And I'm Lawrence. Warren, what did you do? (laughs) I want to tell you what happened. So this week, what we're going to talk about is the Oscars, because it's that time of year, the award season, where everyone uh, feels like they have to talk about the Oscars, even if they kind of wish sometimes that the Oscars and the whole award season would just go into a dark hole, and then we never have to hear about them again, like I do sometimes. Yeah, I mean, say that to Bong Joon-ho. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't think he feels the same way about Oscars after winning every single award going. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, so the recap, Parasite won quite a lot of things. Won Best Director, Best Foreign Film, Best Film, uh, Joaquin Phoenix won for... Best Screenplay as well. Oh yeah, won Best Screenplay. Joaquin Phoenix won for Joker. Brad Pitt won for Best Supporting Actor for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Renee Zellweger won for Judy after coming out of uh, the desert. Where <laughs> she worked for six years and then decided she wanted to win an Oscar and come back for it. I guess that's the way it works for some people. But then Joaquin Phoenix was a bit of a no-go a few years ago mm. after his whole big beard stunt. And now he's been just putting out good stuff for a while and everyone loves him again. Yeah, I mean, luckily he is a very talented actor. So. Yeah. That always helps. Yeah, that means you're usually in very good films. Uh, and Laura Dern won for Best Supporting for Marriage Story. I, I suppose I have a slight animosity towards awards season the Oscars. I have this problem where I kind of feel that the award season is a little bit like uh, an older relative that, that, you, uh, that you don't really get on with, that you have to see around Christmas time. You know that deep in your heart there's nothing wrong with them and that they have to exist and that you just have to learn to live with them and there's nothing you can do about it but you just find the whole way that they live their life really really difficult to process and that's my that's basically my feeling about award season they're like award season to me is like the racist uncle that you have to see around Christmas time. Yeah, I think it's overblown and pompous most of the time, but then occasionally it is good. It's like it's very hit or miss. It's like you know, Moonlight's one in the past. That's true. Good films. Wi- I mean, that's the problem, isn't it? Is that you remember the decisions that they get really wrong. Good films do win awards. Hmm. It's just that I find the whole. I guess I find the whole like attention around it really difficult i feel that it that the the, pro- the problem i have with the oscars is like that's not that used to be the way that you knew what the most important current films were you knew the films that were worth seeing that's not the way that people watch movies anymore and that's not the way that people that's not the way that a movie you know important to people anymore people are absorbing movies in a lot more diverse forms now and 
in different ways and something having a gold statue really just doesn't mean very much anymore and I wish they would stop kind of getting the attention I think it's all audience driven so I think there's been this mass panic um, about the Academy Awards over the past 10 years because audience numbers have been going down so they try and create publicity or you feel like awards are given sort of based on interest that's why it's very rare that a film does well at the Oscars that is a flop really yeah is a financial disaster because if no one's been to see it then the academy tends to think that well it's not worthy of an award which is a bad way to look at it because there are plenty of good films that don't make money and end up people just wanting to forget about them because they're deemed a failure at the time but actually over over the next sort of decade they probably get stronger as they go on i think as well like that's enough i mean they they were they were talking about making a new award was it the the big i can't know what they were gonna it was like basically it was an award for a blockbuster an award that they like the popular film award some bullshit like that like it was a t- it was some way of trying to get people to give a shit about the oscars a bit more and well i mean people do give a shit but trying to get get people to tune in so saying let's invent an award to get ten thousand more people to watch the ceremony because that's the only way that we can justify this giant thing with the champagne and the hors d'oeuvres and the the after parties filled with cocaine i mean i I just it's absolutely embarrassing it's why i think actually so at first there was this um the academy awards were very anti-netflix and streaming services i think there was an idea that they didn't want those films to be nominated for awards because they didn't have a cinema release but now actually i think they're starting to warm to it you've seen something like marriage story which got a netflix release and I think that's because if you're on Netflix, then you're probably going to be popular. You're going to be watched at the moment because that's, you know, that's ideally the platform that people are going to for movies now. I mean, that really should be the thing that they do. One of the rules for you being considered for an Oscar is that the film has to be released within Los Angeles County between January 1st and December 31st of that year. But maybe they should start relaxing this and start including certain streaming services in that. I mean, again, it does get complicated. It, is gonna, it would get complicated because maybe you include Netflix and Amazon Prime, but then who don't you include? Because if you say the whole of the internet, I suppose then it's going to become really, really difficult to police about what should and shouldn't be in there. I can, and the, you know, I, I do understand that there maybe has to be a limit, but there's got to be a way. It would encourage the streaming services and it would encourage people to kind of re-engage with the Oscars a bit more. That or, honestly, like when Ellen DeGeneres presented it, that's when they got the most figures in. So get someone to present the, get One Direction to present the Oscars. Get One Direction back together, present the Oscars. Am I just showing my age there? Yeah, that's quite an old reference. That's quite an old reference. Yeah. So, in light of our various gripes and grumbles with the Oscars, we came up with an idea for this episode. So, that idea is we've chosen three awards that we would like to see another film or actor win. They haven't necessarily been nominated this year for that specific award, but they have been picked from the official list of films that could have been nominated in the Academy Awards for 2020. And we've got three each. Yeah, so, do you want to go first? Do you want to go first? Why don't you go first? You're going to go first and then we'll take it in turns, right? Okay. So we've got three picks each. First up is Sam. And the Oscar goes to... So I guess 
for best original screenplay, I think it would have been nice to see Velvet Buzzsaw in there. Some spirit. It's connected to his art. <gasps> Truly goddamn strange is going on! Um, so Velvet Buzzsaw is from the writer-director of Nightcrawler and Rowan Dre, Esquire Jr. And it's about Vectral Dees, who's an artist who dies and his work gets picked up um, or gets found in his apartment by someone who works within the um, the art industry. His art's like very sort of spectacular and gory and visceral, but um, it starts being sold and so um, showcased in galleries. And then people who have showcased them or sold these paintings start to die in really horrific ways. It's got Jake Gyllenhaal, Rene Russo, Zoe Ashton, Tony Collette, John Malkovich. And it is just this weird sort of hybrid film of horror and also a bit of a satire on modern art and popular culture. It's just really, really bizarre. And I think it's clearly quite a divisive film, but it's one of those that when you watch it you feel like you're watching something so fresh and original and I think even though it has its faults I just had a really good time with it I didn't really know where it was going to go I don't think Dan Gilroy the writer director really knew where it was going to go but um, <laughs> yeah I, I I think it's just the I think the thing that I was really blown away by the script was the fact that the characters in the film because it's a bit of an ensemble they seem to get worse and they seem to get more pretentious as the film goes on. So when they start to die in really gruesome ways, it makes it all the more satisfying. <laughs> Which is essentially what you want from a horror film. But to set it, yeah. As I think set- for this kind of horror film, yeah. You want a sort of... There's a... <laughs> I mean, horror films famously have a very twisted idea of justice. But perhaps in this case, especially when you, you, you have a more satirical one, it does kind of make sense. I just think to set it in the world, in the superficial world of, of modern art, is actually really fascinating. People thought she was part of an exhibit. We're trending on Instagram. It's a major hit. Uh, so what, what's your first one? My first one is, instead of Rennie Zellweger winning for Judy, I wanted Scarlett Johansson to win for Marriage Story. When did we say it? I don't know when we said it, but we said it. I thought, we said it at the time on the phone. Honey, let me finish. Sorry, I keep saying that. I thought that if Henry was happy here and my show continued, that we might do LA for a while. I was not privy to that thought process. Oh, the only reason we didn't live here is because you can't imagine desires other than your own, unless they're forced on you. Okay, you wish you hadn't married me, you wish you had a different life, but this is what happened. So what do we do? I don't know. Now, she was, so she was nominated in the category. She but. was nominated in the category, but didn't win. And I really wanted either of the two leads from Marriage Story to win because I think Marriage Story is a is a film based around you know these two characters splitting up. You know, these Mar- Marriage Story is a movie from Noah Baumbach about Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson, who are two people in the theatre world, an, an actor and a director. And they're married, um, they have one child, and they're going to split apart. And it's about that marriage splitting apart. It's it's a phenomenal film. It's really, really great. It's, it's a wonderful film about the complexities of divorce, but also just of a relationship coming apart. It's a really nuanced, heartfelt look 
at what can be one of the most traumatic events in a person's life, which is the, their biggest relationship breaking up. And it's driven by these two performances by Adam Driver, who is an incredible actor in himself, and I could talk a lot about Adam Driver. But Scarlett Johansson, I think, I really wanted to win the award because she is such a movie star, but she is taking these little dips more and more into trying something different, into breaking out of her comfort zone and doing something a bit more interesting. Now, I was really struggling with this choice because this is also part of the problem with with Oscar nominations, right? People get awards just for being themselves and for their body of work rather than actually for the for the thing that they performed in. And we shouldn't be really necessarily giving awards just for the choices an actor makes and stuff. I, I, I do understand that. I think that he, I guess I would combat that slightly by saying that, well, I guess I, I just do think it's really important. I think so, an, an actor that I've followed for a while that I think has done this very well as well is Nicole Kidman. Uh, Nicole Kidman, and I'm kind of hoping that Scarlett Johansson goes the same way as Nicole Kidman, which is Nicole Kidman was a massive, massive star and still is a massive, massive star, but now is seems to be... I constantly see her in projects that might not always make it to the cinema and might not make it to a lot of eyes, but she is constantly, like, testing herself and pushing herself and and, and going and doing different things, including from... Last year, Destroyer, which is really good. But to not to stop talking about Nicole Kidman, like, and that's what I'm kind of hoping Scarlett Johansson does, is that she is a she's still one of the biggest movie stars in the world, and uh, biggest female movie stars in the world, and she has a lot of power, and she could use that to go and do like interesting projects, and I want to see her do that. But even that aside, I think that this was a really great showcase for her range emotionally i saw her at so many different levels i saw her at at this kind of like fury and this rage but also this like tenderness and this vulnerability like the whole movie is like driven behind the emotional journey of these characters and trying to work out where they've got to this place where they have to split apart and have this kind of really devastating split between them i think it only works because scarlett johansson is really, really suited to this role and can handle a role of this depth and this much range. And I think she should get recognised for that. I mean, there's been a lot made of the of the big argument scene, which is perhaps like the most memorable scene in the film. What's great about it is that there's loads of techniques in the actual scene that are really, really good. The way that the camera goes in and comes out and the way that they go back and forth, the way that the argument escalates and escalates into something really, really horrible, and so much more horrible than either of them wanted. The film starts with them describing the things that they love about one another. Part of the mediation is they write something really nice about one another. And then, and so in some ways, you start off by immediately by really liking them and seeing what's good about them. But you can see how they like split apart and, and why they need to split apart more and more as the film goes on. But I just yeah, I think that's what you mean about them being both quite likable. Because actually, I think it's a good way for the film to start. Because I think you're like you both see their weaknesses and their strengths over the course of the film. And I think it's tricky because when you go when you look when you, you look for a film about divorce, 
it can be that you side with either, like with one character over the other. But actually, I think through this, it's sort of perfectly balanced. Yeah, and again, I just think that's why she should win because I think it's a it's a it's a great testament to her talents that she pulled this off. And I just really hope she keeps going in this direction and maybe does a few less Marvel films and finds a few more auteurs. And you wanted so much, so fast. I didn't even want to get married. Fuck it. There's so much I didn't do. (laughs) Thanks for that. You're welcome. I can't believe I have to know you forever. You're fucking insane. And you're fucking winning. Are you kidding me? I wanted to be married. I'd already lost. You didn't love me as much as I loved you. What does that have to do with L.A.? What? You're so merged with your own selfishness, you don't even identify it as selfishness anymore. You're such a dick! What's your second one? So my second one would be, for Best Documentary, Diego Maradona wasn't nominated, uh, which I was really surprised about because it was one of my favourite films of 2019. Maradona, oh, brilliant play by Maradona. Still going! Maradona is a great player, but not with his formation The documentary itself um, takes place during Maradona's move to Naples after he was at Barcelona. And it's a lot about his time spent there, about the pressures of playing for Napoli, um, the pressures of living in Naples itself, and what's so unique about that city compared to um, the rest of Italy, really. I think, as with a lot of Esif Capada documentaries, a bit like Senna or Amy, the documentary always is at quite a fast pace, so it never really slows down. And I think that energy really carries you throughout the film. I think they've often talked about Naples being like a character in itself, which is a bit of a cliche. <laughs> but I do, I do really love the way that um, I think you quickly understand about what it's like living in a city like that, which is not only obsessed with its own identity, but completely obsessed with football. And how someone like Maradona, who was the best pl- football player in the world at that point, and about how he becomes completely enveloped by by the place, and yeah, it's it's just a documentary that I feel like there's no weak points in it. It's just a really honest look at one of the most controversial sports figures of our lifetimes. Absolutely. I mean, I again, I probably didn't like this one as much as you. I'm not as much of a football fan as you. I do think that it's a. If, if, <laughs> I think. Do you it, think that was an issue? No. I mean, no, not. I mean, well, well, obviously, I do because I don't. But I, I do in terms of the fact that it wasn't one of my favorite films of the year. I don't in the fact that Diego Maradona is a film that, in the end, I think is really just about fame and talent. And the pressures that come from that. And it's a classic story of of everything that can go wrong when everything goes so right for you. And everything that comes out of being an icon. It's really, really worth seeing if you're a football fan of like any measure. I think you have to seek out Diego Maradona. I did love the stuff about Naples because understanding the culture of a city like that 
and how it was so part of Maradona's like rise and fall in that part of his career is really important because football is completely entwined with community like that's that's a, an essential part and any sport really is is completely about community and the the, the community that you're in and that the, the and that the sport sits in the center of it it becomes a focal point for so many emotions that go into people's identity and part of being in that community and understanding that about Naples is is really really fascinating as much as it was really fascinating to also learn about this important character in Maradona himself and I never thought I'd feel sympathetic for Maradona anyway but actually I think like really sort of, yeah I understood him a little bit by do, the end of do the you film. not really like him no I think he's quite a um I think he's someone that perhaps lives on the edge of life and he's made some very bad decisions and he's let himself be surrounded by the wrong people which um again is like part of part of the film really um in itself quelli che lo odiavano maradona volevano distruggerlo affidandoti alla camorra so what's your second one? My second one is Willem Dafoe for Best Supporting Actor for The Lighthouse. Uh, he was not nominated for this. You've been neglecting your duties, lad. Don't deny it. What do you call that? Sir? What? I mopped and swept twice over. You lying dog. I swept them. It's begrimed and bedabbled. Unwiped, unwashed and disdained. It's some kind of purr out of molesting me. Come now. I already says... How dare you contradict me, you dog? There are so many technically amazing aspects of the film. The cinematography, set design, I, even the visual effects of Fort Worth. Oh, it's amazing. Incredible, yeah. It's one of the most unique experiences you're going to have in a cinema or uh, watching a film this year. The, the film itself, before just getting to Willem Dafoe, is about the story of these uh, uh, one very seasoned lighthouse keeper, or wiki, played by Willem Dafoe. Then Robert Pattinson plays a... Uh, a wiki who's brand new to the job and then while on the island a series of events happen which leads to them becoming drifting off into isolation and madness and obsession and a kind of a very kind of twisted ghoulish horror story emerges out of there it's gruesome and funny and psychological and all these kind of great things the reason I'm pick, I guess I'm picking Willem Dafoe for this, because his, his performance is uh, similar to Robert Pattinson. They both are an incredible pair. They both have almost equal screen time, but I think you could you would definitely say that Willem Dafoe was the supporting actor. Um, and he's not the person you're following during the film. He is very bombastic and very, like, in your face. He's got this huge beard, and he speaks like a proper old mariner an old man of the sea and he speaks in this very elaborate way and comes out with these like he does sound like he's speaking directly out of moby dick a lot of the time and all these these elaborate mythological ways he talks about the sea 
the way and his kind of relationship with it is so twisted and haunting but also like really funny and ridiculous i mean he 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 matches that tone of the film so well that he is equal parts funny and also like gruesome and terrifying at the same time he's got these amazing monologues as well that he just he's able to sort of talk about and quote myths of the sea and um it's almost like um, another language really yeah it is hard to describe but he has to he there's these just these single shots where he's talking about like 30 seconds to a minute and he's almost like a like a, a weird rant like he's casting a spell but i don't know how he was even able to to learn them off by heart and and be able to do them in one take it's just yeah, an incredible, incredible piece of acting. I think Willem Dafoe, I mean, Willem Dafoe became like a household name after Spider-Man. He's been around for a long time and has, and has been, you know, acclaimed and he's been nominated for Academy Awards before. But I feel like in recent years, he's having a real, like, second renaissance. He's in loads of really, really good stuff and he does, like, some, he's done some amazing work. He's a director's actor, definitely. He is. And he, <laughs> he... I mean, but in The Lighthouse, he is so, like, oppressive and powerful one minute that he is just, he's at the centre of all the horror that's going on. But but then sometimes he's actually, you think, no, is he just a, a sneak, a manipulator, a kind of really underhanded, like, cheat that can actually very easily be overpowered. So he's very physically intimidating sometimes and then also, like, quite vulnerable at other times like it's a really weird balance like you're never really sure if he's the villain or if he's just kind of along for the same insane ride his, his constant drunkenness his constant farting and belching it's just like it's the, the truth is that the reason i think that no one in the cast has been nominated for anything even though i i, I know it is going to top a lot of top 10 lists of the year it's a really solid contender for mine, is because it's a horror film. And in the same way that, I, you know, I think this is a, no, a thing about awards season, is that it ignores a lot of genres. And it ignores things that are cut, not, not even just genres, things that are cut from a certain cloth. You're fond of me, lobster. Say it. Say it. Say it. I don't have to say nothing. Danny! Let Neptune strike you dead, Winslow! Hark! Hark! Triton! Hark! So what's your next one, Sam? My third one is uh, Best Sporting Actor for Daniel Craig in Knives Out. Mr. Blanc, I just buried my father who committed suicide. Why are you here? I suspect foul play. I have eliminated no suspects. I mean, Knives Out is like a really great script, but I think it needs the right people in the right roles to really um, make it the best film it can possibly be. And I just think Daniel Craig in that role, I mean, it's just a great like supporting actor role in the terms of that he's able, as the detective in the film, he's able to knit it all together. So Knives Out is the story of a old mystery novelist who, after his birthday, ends up dead. Um, and all of his family are a suspect. 
and then what happens is Daniel Craig is mysteriously brought in as uh, he's one of the he's America's most famous private investigator, and he comes in with his southern drawl to investigate proceedings under payment from a mysterious benefactor. There's a great scene where they introduce him at the beginning where he's just said, where he's like, oh, just ignore me, just ignore me, I'll just hang out the back. He's like, but I've just got one question. And that's sort of just how he sort of like enters the, um, yeah, enters the story. And yeah, I just think he's so charismatic and funny and peculiar in it. And it's a role that I've never really seen him do before. And it's just a, a really great cameo. He, every single time he he appears on screen, the the film gets that, just that extra little bit better. Um, and yeah, I thought he would have been prime for a, for a better supporting nod, but um, but it wasn't to be. Yeah, I love it him as well. I think he's like I, I think there's definitely life after Bond for Daniel Craig. Um, I really liked Logan Lucky, and I loved him in Logan Lucky. I thought he was really funny in that. Doing another southern accent. Doing another southern accent. Yeah, <laughs> he's got he's kind of got a talent for them. Knives Out's a great film. Anyway, I think it's a really it's a great reinvigoration of the whodunit mystery. Uh, it followed the template of it, but Ryan Johnson, the director, just seems to make something that still feels kind of fresh. I had a really, gr- a really great idea that all mi- once that all mystery stories and all detective stories should be things that, when you find out the solution, you think, oh, "If only I was just that little bit smarter." as the detective was, to be able to work that out. You know, all the pieces were there. I just And Knives Out is really good at doing stuff like that, as well as fulfilling stuff like having, like, this um, ensemble cast of uh, of great characters and great performances from, from people. And, and yet it does also... I'm not going to go too much into it, but it does invert it in lots of different ways. The ways I think that Daniel Craig kind of inverts it is that he's the detective, but we're not following him for the whole film. And actually sometimes we kind of see that he's just not really seeing anything. Like, he's not actually seeing the whole picture. And then you sort of are slightly questioning, well, is this guy actually a good detective? Or is he just somehow been lucky in the right places at the right times? You sort of start to doubt him a little bit. So you're, you're always kind of not really sure whether he's actually the brilliant detective that he is or not. And you, Yeah, I mean, there is, like to use sort of a, la- a lazy reference. I think there is that Sherlock Holmes ability about him is that he's, his his mind is very sharp, but actually like his interpersonal skills aren't. So there are scenes with um, Anna de Armas' character where he just doesn't really seem, you know, that involved really. He's, he's better at solving cases than he is with people really. Yeah. Um, but it actually reminds me weirdly of... Knives Out reminds me a bit of Tropic Thunder in a way. I think Knives Out is a superior film. But Tropic Thunder was a film full of great cameos, like Robert Downey Jr., Tom Cruise, Steve Coogan, Matthew McConaughey. And I just wonder if it's Knives Out is a bit similar in that you've kind of got like Chris Evans coming in doing something, real, Christopher Plummer as well. Um, and I just thought maybe I remember maybe that's the reason it didn't get nominated because there are so many like big actors coming in and contributing to the film in small parts. Somehow, I I almost wonder whether it's a genre thing again. I think it's a, I think it's a, you know, it's a murder mystery, and I think, I feel like maybe the academy thinks that, that kind of thing should be reserved more for TV at about three o'clock in the afternoon or something than it should be on the big screen, which is a, which is kind of a shame. But also, it's a bit more of a comedy, and maybe they again, 
it's not. They feel like they need to take it more. That it should be something that takes more seriously. I don't know. Harlem was cleaning house. Everyone in the family has possible motives. Was Harlan planning on cutting off Joni? Did he plan to fire Walter? Is Richard having an affair? That's some heavy-duty conjecture. Either way, I mean, I think that it's a sh- We've both picked, like, the best supporting actor thing. As much as I like Brad Pitt, and I have a lot of affection for Brad Pitt, it's just sort of a shame it went to him, and it was another one of these, let's give it to him because he's Brad Pitt rather than let's give it to him for the role. I don't think it was a particularly good role for him. I think it was I think it was quite a bland role. Re- I think it represented a lot of the directionlessness of the film, which some people thought was really really great, but I thought but I don't know what movie they were watching because actually I think it just felt aimless and pretty vacant. I think lots of interesting roles come out of the best supporting categories and Brad Pitt's really wasn't. And we've got two there that I think are immediately much more interesting and are much more worth people's time than what was going on in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So what's your third one? My third one is Best Director. I would have liked to go to the Safdie brothers. That's uh, Josh Safdie and Benny Safdie, and they directed Uncut Gems. You like to win, right? This is no different than that. Black Joe Power, nigga. This is my fucking way. You think I'm stupid, Howard? You and your whole fucking family. I heard you resurface your fucking swimming pool. I, you know how that makes me feel? Never resurface you anything. Than I don't life. know who said that. Now, this is not the most... This is not necessarily the most original thought in the world. I think that me and everyone else with a pulse is absolutely in love with the Safdie brothers and what they're doing at the moment. They've made two feature films. One was Good Time, and this one, Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems is basically the story of Adam Sandler playing Howard, or Howie, who is a diamond dealer in New York in 2012, who's also a complete gambling addict. And it's um, about a few days in his life, him trying to get out of the latest scrape where he owes someone a lot of money. The Safdies have an amazingly dynamic visual style. The reason everyone's giving them all this attention, because as soon as you're sitting in a a Safdie Brothers film, it's like nothing else that you will have watched in the past few years. This, like, really frenetic, fast-paced style uh, that is really, like, full of these, like, impulsive moments... They feel, it feels so, like, impulsive and of the moment. It means that you're just always on the edge of your seat, always tense watching this stuff happen. But you also kind of, like, marvel at it because it's, it's, it's got the feeling of something that's trying to be shot as in to give it a, a sense of authenticity. Like, it's got this, like, grittiness to it, like, the camera and the way that the, there's, there's so much, like, mess and chaos in a Safdie Brothers film. There's all these different, like... There's so many, like, lights and, like, stuff, and everyone's in, like, cramped corridors and, like, dirty spaces, and yet there's so much action going on and everyone's, like, speaking so quickly. The reason I want to give them Best Director, even though other parts of the film, including, I think, the film itself, deserve a nod, and Adam Sandler really deserves a nod for Best Actor, the reason I think that it really, out of all of them, should be the directors is that the director's job is to be the creative 
driving force of the film. And these are two of the most exciting filmmakers to come along probably since, like, Steve McQueen or Christopher Nolan. They are that good, and they are that interesting to watch. One day, I have absolutely no doubt that they will win that they will win a statue. I just think that, like a lot of things in the Academy, I think it's going to be long past you. The thing about uh, directing is that uh, one of the most difficult um, areas of it is to keep a consistent tone. And for the Safdie brothers to have such a relentless tone all the way through the film and to have this organised chaos, in a way, about what's going on within the story is is just absolutely phenomenal and amazing. And to get two guys who still feel quite young for directors to be able to craft and make this film that never drops pace, always keeps you on the edge of your seat and just keeps you really, really engaged all the way through is just absolutely phenomenal. Uncut Gems is one of these things that has been completely ignored by the Academy this year, but is exactly kind of the thing that I'm talking about. It's like, you know, when I watch a Safdie Brothers film, when I watch Uncut Gems or something, I, I'm not just like, this is a brilliant film. I'm also thinking that this is going to be the kind of film that people watch that are going to make them want to be filmmakers. I think it's so universal as well. I think that's the frustrating thing. The good thing the, that Academy Awards can do, which I think it did with films like Moonlight, for example, is that it gets people to go see them that wouldn't normally go to it. And I think if, yeah. even if um, Uncut Gems had got a few more nominations, then I think that would have garnered like a lot more interest. Maybe people would have sought it out through Netflix or when it got a limited cinema release. The fact that I just feel like you could pretty much show anybody uncut gems and they would take something away from it. And I just think it's so... It's such an amazing piece of work that I would be surprised if I found anybody with anything negative to say about it. And those films that have so much variety and can transcend so many different audiences should be the ones that get nominated for awards. I agree. But also, I think it shows the Academy's weakness because I think a lot of people are going to watch Uncut Gems. Maybe, again, you're you're absolutely right in that I think that everyone could take something away from Uncut Gems. And if you're listening to this and haven't seen Uncut Gems, I really think that that and Good Time are really worth you, you seeking out. I, I think, and I and I think that you're right, is that it could get an audience that it wouldn't have gotten otherwise. But I think as well, it's going to get an audience. I think a lot of people are going to watch this. It is on Netflix. Both of them are on Netflix. But, you know, it's going to be ignored by the Academy. But I think that is going to be the movie that people keep coming back to and, and talk to and, and talk about as well. Just like The Lighthouse, you know. I think it's going to be something that people come back to at the end of the year. But the Academy isn't going to recognise it. And... Maybe it's Adam Sandler, because he hasn't got the best rep. Maybe they, maybe that's why it's kind of been ignored. Maybe it just wasn't the year for this kind of story and this kind of filmmaking to make a big splash. But, again, sooner or later, they're going to win one. I'm having very serious second thoughts. Are you serious right now? I know I fucked up. Howard, where's the money right now? Howard, got my money? Howard! Is it too late? I'm done. That means nothing. It meant nothing. Please. Give me another shot. So that's our free picks, I guess. I guess award season hasn't been a complete 
you know, I don't, I don't want to come out of this saying like award season has been a complete bust. I mean, in many ways, like Parasite winning everything has shown me that I need to maybe not be so dismissive of award season because I think the idea that a foreign language film could win Best Picture would have been impossible to me, you know, a, a couple of years ago. And and Parasite's a brilliant film. And it's really and it's and it's amazing that now that is going to get an audience that otherwise wouldn't have done, and I think that's a real success. So I mean, in many ways, this has been one of the more successful years of the Academy Awards. Still, be nice to change it though. <laughs> I still stand by my choices. Yeah, I think it's an interesting direction for the Academy to go into to give it to a foreign language film. I don't know whether that's partly to do with the, the culture of our time, but um, yeah, I mean, if you look to a year ago in which a film like Green Book could win the best picture film. What? And then What's Green Book? Well, there you go. And then contrast it to some a film like Parasite, a piece of work by an author that is just well layered, like very very satirical in some in some parts and Went very satirical in all of it. Yeah, I mean the whole film's about the the rich poor divide, and the way it unveils that is really complex and interesting. So maybe there's so maybe there's hope for the academy yet. There's maybe there's hope for award season. So as I said earlier, when talking about um, uncut gems, I, I just hope there's there's more films that are from different voices from that are unique, interesting, and we don't have that the idea of like an academy award winning film something that's sort of grand baggy and a bit like over the top um which is there to please the academy and not worldwide audiences or people outside of that california bubble i hope hope to see that that happens really Thank you, and yeah, I'm ready, ready to drink tonight, so. <laughs> Until next morning, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on iTunes as Cellcast, soundcloud.com forward slash cell dash magazine, Facebook and Twitter as Cell Magazine, and for an archive of written stuff, go to cellmagazine.wordpress.com.